The healthy person has a million dreams. An unhealthy person has only one. And so as best you can be that healthy person so that you can live all your dreams. Welcome to Beyond Age, a Manulife exclusive podcast. Manulife cares about the physical, mental, and financial well-being of Canadians. During this podcast series, we uncover the truth about holistic health and aging to keep you living healthier for longer, no matter your age. In this unique episode, we're shaking things up a bit. Rather than engaging with industry experts, we've opted for a more diverse approach. We'll be sharing a real-life story from an individual who has personally encountered a significant health event. We'll delve into their first-hand account of the journey and subsequently explore the transformative steps they've taken in reshaping their life post-event. Our aim is that the insights shared here may provide valuable advice for our listeners. My name is Joyce Lum, and this is my real story. Joyce will share her personal journey through multiple heart attacks in her real-life story. While being genetically predisposed to heart attacks, Joyce really didn't expect it to affect her like it did her father and her brother. Outside of possible genetic links, people should be aware of other factors such as blood pressure. Elevated blood pressure can strain the heart and lead to various cardiovascular problems. Also, there is high cholesterol where excess cholesterol in the blood can contribute to the formation of plaque in the arteries, restricting blood flow and increasing the risk of heart disease. Let's join Joyce where she outlines what her life was like before her heart attacks. Compared to what I've been through, it was quite uneventful in the sense that uh, I was working in the corporate world and uh, in the learning and development field, I was conducting a lot of workshops and I was traveling. I was traveling quite a bit um, throughout Canada and in the Midwest of the U.S. So I was doing that for several years. So it was just a normal kind of uneventful life in the sense of, uh, like I said, what I've gone through uh, in the last uh, several years. I would say it was just day-to-day life. You know, work, obviously, for a lot of us, takes up a, a lot of our time and energy. And uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm like a lot of people, you know, you always want to do your best. So you, you do put in a lot of mental, emotional, physical energy towards that. And, you know, I was a perfectionist at that time. Uh, I've learned to scale that back a little bit, just because of everything I know now. And so I would say that in addition to a predisposition to heart attacks from a genetic factor, lifestyle definitely has a role in this experience that I had. Really, in the background, I never even thought about um, heart attacks other than uh, at that time, my father had already experienced a couple of heart attacks and he had open heart surgery. And my brother... Um, had his first one when he was in his 30s. So that, those were events that happened in my family, but I never really gave it much thought in terms of me because I was healthy and uh, I wasn't running into any particular issues, health issues. And so it was always in the back of my mind. There was a genetic component, but it re- really wasn't dominating my life. And so Leading up to that first heart attack, it was a surprise. 
A surprise for Joyce because traditionally there has been a perception that heart disease primarily affects men, but it is a significant health concern for women as well. Here are some key statistics. Men often experience heart attacks at a younger age than women. Men are more likely to experience heart attacks associated with significant coronary artery disease. Women tend to develop heart disease typically around 10 years later than men on average. Women may have different symptoms than men during a heart attack, and these symptoms are sometimes less recognized. Also, women are more likely to die from a heart attack than men, partly because they may delay seeking treatment due to atypical symptoms or attributing symptoms to other causes. Let's listen now to more of Joyce's real-life story. Yes, when my brother had his uh, first heart attack, he was 39 at the time. And uh, when that happened, I actually went to my family doctor and shared the news with him because I wanted to see if there was something that I should be aware of in terms of things that I could do. So he sent me off to get a stress test to establish a baseline for me, and it came back normal. And so that was reassuring to me um, at the time. And then that was it. Because once I had that uh, test done and I got sort of that clean bill of health, it didn't really change anything for me. I just continued to still do what I was doing. Uh, I would say that the key was when I had my heart attack, my first heart attack. That was when a lot of things changed. It's important to recognize that individual experiences can vary. And while statistics provide a general overview, both men and women should be aware of their heart health, know the risk factors, and seek medical attention if they experience symptoms of a heart attack. Heart disease prevention and management strategies apply to both genders, and a healthy lifestyle can significantly reduce the risk of heart-related issues. So I had been traveling that week. I was actually in um, Wisconsin for work. I was there for about three days. But when I was there, I felt nauseous. And, but I never really gave it any thought. I just assumed maybe I was just coming down something. So I flew back to Canada. And that Friday evening after I had dinner, I wasn't feeling well. Definitely was not feeling well. I was throwing up. Um, I was starting to feel anxious. I'd go lie down. I felt like my, something had landed on my chest. At the time, um, my daughter was with me and she um, knew I wasn't feeling well. And so my husband at the time was downstairs and she alerted him that there's something wrong with mummy. And so we went to the hospital and they found out that I was actually having a heart attack. When that happened, it was a surprise because when I got into the hospital, I was actually in the middle of having a heart attack. And while I was in the emergency, I do recall that there was a point in time where everything started to slow down. And so I happened to mention it to the doctor and that's when they immediately put me flat on my back. People started to come in and um, they brought the crash cart closer to me. So I knew something was going on and my heart rate had actually dropped um, just, just below 40 beats per minute. And I was in a hospital for about five days in uh, cardiac um, intensive care. And it's interesting, they, I was the youngest person there. I was 
49 at the time. And I was the youngest uh, patient in that unit. So I got a stent, you know, when I was having my heart attack. So they did put in a stent. And so once they put in the stent, I did feel fine. You know, I was just fatigued and a little bit weak. Joyce mentioned here something called a stent. We should explain briefly what that is. A stent is a small mesh-like tube typically made of metal or other materials, and it is used as a medical device to treat narrowed or blocked arteries, particularly in the context of a heart attack. Here's how it works. The stent is mounted on a balloon catheter, and the combined balloon and stent are threaded through the blood vessels to the site of the blockage. Once the catheter reaches the blocked artery, the balloon is inflated in order to compress the plaque against the artery walls, widening the artery. Simultaneously, the stent expands with the balloon, locking in place to keep the artery open after the balloon is deflated and removed. And so when I had my second heart attack, it was in the middle of COVID. It was on Good Friday of 2021. And I recall I was in the kitchen getting ready to make a turkey. All of a sudden, I felt again that heaviness. It was worse than my first one. And that one, I had a 99% blockage in my uh, LAD. So one of the main arteries in my heart. And so it was a big one. And so they took me to the hospital. I got stented again. Um, But the great thing was because from 2015, I had changed my lifestyle because of all the knowledge and and everything that I knew about taking care of my mental, emotional, physical, spiritual purpose and meaning, all of that I actually incorporated into my life. And so when I had my second heart attack, I had tools and I had uh, techniques that were working in my favor. So for instance, when I was in the ambulance, I knew I had to control my breathing. So I automatically, you know, went into uh, a sort of like a breathing meditation to help myself from not hyperventilating. I also knew that the thoughts that I was having in my head was going to be a contributing factor. So I didn't want to get into that downward spiral of, okay, this is my second heart attack. Everybody in my family passes away from their second heart attack. So I purposely made sure that I controlled the thoughts in my head uh, so I wouldn't go down that path. And I truly believe, and my cardiologist, you know, says the same thing as well, too, was I was able to sail through it. I had the heart attack on Friday, and I was released from the hospital on Monday. Just because, again, the stent, you know, once they put in a stent, you know, it opens up everything. So you do feel much better, for sure. But again, I had some tools and techniques to help me lead through it. And my recovery was much shorter, you know, because of my lifestyle. Several years prior to Joyce's second heart attack, she experienced symptoms similar to her first heart attack. When she arrived at the hospital, she was relieved to find out that she wasn't having a heart attack, but rather she was experiencing a panic attack. The guidance she received from her care team emphasized the importance of reducing stress in her life to the best of her ability. This led her to prioritize her stress management and well-being strategies and tools, which ultimately helped her navigate through her second massive heart attack. It's essential to note that while these symptoms may overlap, there are also distinct differences. For instance, panic attacks are usually associated 
with intense anxiety or fear, and the symptoms often peak within a few minutes. On the other hand, the symptoms of a heart attack can persist and may be accompanied by other signs like pain radiating down the arm, jaw pain, or extreme fatigue. If someone is experiencing symptoms that could be indicative of a heart attack, seeking immediate medical attention is crucial. It's always better to err on the side of caution and have a healthcare professional evaluate the situation. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for is because I did survive my second one. And as you know, my brother and my dad didn't. And so I like to think that one of the reasons why I did survive it was because, you know, I still have a lot of work to do to help others. I have more dreams to live as well, too. There's still a lot of work that can be done to help others. And that's, you know, one of my purposes is to really help other heart attack survivors to make those choices so that if they are going to have another one, they're in a better position as well. Women at heart through the University of Ottawa attended some of their support groups. And uh, that I would definitely recommend that for listeners who have had a cardiac event to get that peer support, be with groups of, of women who have also gone through something very similar to you. I'll leave this phrase that I use to wrap up really is that a healthy person has a million dreams. An unhealthy person has only one. And so as best you can be that healthy person so that you can live all your dreams. And that was Joyce's real story. We trust that Joyce's first-hand experiences and advice shared in this documentary will be valuable to you. Up next, don't miss an interview with Joyce, where she talks about what resilience means to her and provides more advice when it comes to building up your own resilience. We'll be right back after this message. Enjoying the show so far? Don't forget to visit our website, manulife.ca slash livehealthier for even more tips, videos, and content from Manulife that can help keep you living healthier for longer, no matter your age. Welcome back to Beyond Age. We have invited Joyce Lum back for an interview with us. Joyce, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Thank you, Jennifer. This is just this wonderful opportunity to be able to share and speak with you and all the listeners. Absolutely. We're so grateful you're able to join us today. And a key word that has come up within your story is resilience. Please tell us more about what resilience means to you and how you have been able to build it for yourself. You know what? I would start by sharing what I believe resilience isn't. And resilience doesn't mean that a person who is resilient, nothing happens to them in terms of challenges and issues that may come up. People who are resilient will tend to be flexible and adaptable when those challenges and issues do come up. And so for me, resilience is all around what is it in that moment that you have, whether it's a tool or strategy that will allow you to navigate through that challenge easier than if you didn't have those things to help and support you. And so you often hear the term bouncing back when we talk about resilience. I'd like to add another element to that where not only are you bouncing back, but you're learning from it so that once you navigate through that issue or that challenge, and if you're living life like everybody else, there will always be a next challenge and a next issue that you're better prepared to be able to navigate that next one because you learned and you grew from the previous one. 
And so to me, really resilience comes down to that flexibility and adaptability, but it's also a learned skill. You know, some people will think that others are more resilient, but it is a skill. So you can learn tools and techniques and strategies to get you through that. Amazing. And in terms of that navigating, right, through different journeys we may all be on, do you have any tips or insights, both from your personal experience and your expertise as a certified health and wellness coach that may help someone build resilience during a major event? I would say to begin now from where you're standing and begin before an event happens. You know, one of the ways that you can do that, you can just take a moment to think about what have been the challenges that you've gone through in the past and what were some of the things that you did to be able to navigate through that. You know, whether it was mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, what were some of the tools, the people that helped you navigate through that? So that way, when the next one does come up, you're better prepared for that event. And also, too, giving yourself permission. You know, when we think about being resilient, some people will think, oh, you got to be that superwoman or that superman. Mm -hmm. It can be challenging to kind of get through it. And so recognizing that you really aren't alone, that social connection, reaching out to people, reaching out to different avenues that are available to you will also help you through that event. Yes, Joyce, thank you. I mean, so many ideas. So people feel as prepared as possible in every situation. You have mentioned some tactics such as controlled breathing and other lifestyle and mindset changes you made that really served you well. So when it comes to healthy living and healthy aging, can you share some of those tactics and methods with our listeners and how they have helped you? There was many. Yes. Well, I, the reason why I say that, I tend to look at things in pillars. And as I mentioned just a few seconds ago, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual, which is around purpose and meaning. And I think if you can look at each of those areas of your life, you'll be able to maybe work on one thing that will help you build your resilience. I love to offer like a tip in each of them. Please. So when we think about mental, one of the tips that I would offer people is to practice saying no. And if you can't say no, practice saying not yet. A lot of us are givers. And so we want to take care of everybody who is closest and nearest to us. And yet we sacrifice our own self-care. And so the more that you can practice saying no or not yet, hopefully that will afford you the time and the energy to be able to put yourself first. On the emotional side, I would say think about helping others. Because when we help others, it takes the mind off of us. Helping others will give us perspective, and it also will make you more aware of what's happening around you. When people share the impact that you had on others, that can really lift your emotions. Absolutely. And then on the physical side, the one thing that I will mention is sleep, the importance of sleep. How I frame it, because we're all so different, is how are you waking up in the morning? Are you feeling refreshed? If you're feeling refreshed, then most likely the amount of sleep that you got was right for you. If you're not feeling refreshed, then that is an indication that, you know what, there's maybe something I need to do. And then on the spiritual side, as I mentioned, which is purpose and meaning, for me, the gauge there is, are you living your life doing the things that are really important to you? And this is where understanding what your values are, understanding your strengths, you just have to ask yourself the one question, does this help me move towards, let's say, my purpose or does it take me away from it? And that is when you wake up, do you feel that hole 
out of bed. Hmm. Things you're going to do during the day energizes you. If you're not, then that may be an area for the listeners to kind of pay attention to, maybe investigate, learn a little bit more what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I mean, so many important things to consider, right? Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So thank you. What are some important organizations or resources that you were able to access during your recovery that everyone should know about? You know, as a heart attack survivor, there's several of them. And I would say that if you have the opportunity, once you leave the hospital to attend a cardiac rehab program of any sort, I would definitely suggest that. Now, I know that that isn't possible for some people just because of where they're located. Sometimes it takes a while to get into these programs just because of sheer volumes of people who survived a heart attack. But definitely a cardiac rehab program is very helpful. Second, the Heart and Stroke Foundation. So for those who are in Canada, they have some wonderful resources online, programs that you can join. That's another valuable resource that I would encourage the listeners to check out. And not just for themselves, but for the people around them that have had some sort of cardiovascular event. And then also from a preventative perspective, I think we all know that heart disease is the number one killer for men and women around the world. So even though you may not have gone through an event, I think that if you can do what you can to prevent an event goes a long way. And then the third is the Women at Heart Peer Support Group, which is run through the University of Ottawa's Heart Institute. Mm. And they have a wonderful peer support 10-week program that women can join. It's complimentary and talk through what you're going through. They share some really valuable resources. And again, that's another resource that a lot of people actually don't know about. But I would encourage those listeners that have gone through it to check them out for sure. When I was going through my experiences, I actually didn't know about them. And so I'm doing my best to spread that because I think it's a resource that's out there that, again, it just needs more people to talk about it and to share that getting that support is really valuable because sometimes, and I think any medical trauma, when you go through it, you feel like you're alone. Mm -hmm. Unless the people around you have gone through it, for them, life continues. But there's some residual things that happen afterwards, right? Where there's maybe depression and anxiety that may occur. And some people don't understand that part of recovery unless you've gone through it. Mm -hmm. And so I think these support groups, they play such a valuable role in the recovery process. And thank you for sharing that, Joyce. You continue to give so much and to share so much to help others. So thank you for that. Are there any myths or misconceptions you can think of about experiencing a major health event, being a heart attack survivor, or the recovery process that you feel need to be debunked? Actually, there's several. Mm. (laughs) The first one would be that only unfit people get ill or get heart attacks, which is not true at all. I think we've all heard stories or we know of people who had seven heart attacks and they were fit. If you were to look at them, you know, they exercised, they ate well, they took care of themselves, and yet they had a massive heart attack or they had a cardiac arrest of some nature. And so I would say, you know, really continue to get yourself checked out only because a lot of factors can contribute to it. High blood pressure, you know, they call it the silent killer because there's no signs if you've got high blood pressure. Right. Another one is that heart disease is just a man's problem. It is definitely not. You know, it is also a women's issue as well. Women heart symptoms manifest themselves in different ways. And oftentimes women will dismiss the symptoms of a heart attack. 
And so it is not just a man's problem. And I feel that not enough research has been done on the women's side. And hopefully that will continue to change as more and more people talk about women's heart health. And, you know, another myth is that, you know, some people think that because heart disease runs in the family, for instance, it did in my, there's nothing you can do to prevent heart disease. Well, I would say that is a myth. Yes, genetics can play a role, but not everybody who has a genetic component will have a heart attack. And I think a lot of it, lifestyle choices, how we live our lives, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, will have a significant contributing factor in prevention. And I think that next one really is that you need to avoid exercise after you have a heart attack. They feel that, oh no, I can't exercise because it might mean that I'm going to have another heart attack. Most cardiologists will at some point encourage people during your recovery to incorporate some sort of movement because it will help your heart heal, you'll get the blood flowing. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage those listeners who have had some sort of cardiac event to do your best to incorporate some form of movement with your doctor's permission, of course. Those are some of the myths. Yes, absolutely. And certainly good advice in terms of what we can control and so much valuable guidance for lifestyle choices that we can make. All our listeners can relate to that. Finally, as you reflect on your work and your personal health journey, do you have one or two key takeaways for our listeners that they could apply to their own lives? Before I answer that question, I want to do a really quick experiment with everybody. Great. So I want everybody to think about the top three things that they love. It could be people, things, hobbies. Just think about what are the top three things that I love. And now what I want you to think about is, of those top three things, are you on that list? Hmm. And I would say whenever I do workshops or whenever I talk to people and I ask that question, 99% of the people will laugh, they'll look shocked, and the response is no. And the reason why I love asking that question is because when it comes to your health, you have to put yourself number one. And if you're not going to put yourself number one, you've got to be at least in that top three. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about that oxygen mask analogy, but really when it comes down to self-care and well-being, the more you put yourself first, It just has such a huge positive impact on those around you. First of all, you're a role model for them. You're making lifestyle choices that eventually and hopefully means that you'll lessen the burden on them if something were to happen. Because the choices that you are making, the priority that you're putting of your own health will help you navigate a bit more smoothly when those challenges do come up. Because again, you'll draw on tools and strategies that you know of be able to help you get through it. And so it's less of an ask from those around you when you do take care of yourself. And then the next tip I would offer is don't wait for something to happen to realize Mm -hmm. that, oh, I should have taken better care of myself. That's the moment a lot of people will realize, you know what, I should have worked on this beforehand. But you have that opportunity now, as of now, to really do one little thing today. And it doesn't mean that you need to sign up for a 90-minute high-intensity workout starting today. It's just doing one thing, whether it's your mental, emotional, physical, and your spiritual side, your purpose and meaning. So think of yourself first. Put yourself on your top three list. And don't wait. Start now. Think prevention. And then you'll be better prepared. So good, Joyce. You are such an inspiration. Thank you very much for sharing your story. We're so thankful. Joyce, thank you. Oh, thank you. 
So that's it. Thanks for tuning in to Beyond Age, an exclusive podcast from Manulife. Tune into the next episode where we talk to Sharon Gilroy Dreyer from Toronto, Ontario, who will be sharing her personal story of discovering advocacy after a stroke. If you're enjoying this series, be sure to check out our other podcast, Solutions to Go, for easy to understand content on a variety of topics, including financial matters, insurance, healthy living, and more. You can find Solutions to Go wherever you get your podcasts or visit mysolutionsonline.ca. Don't forget to visit our website manulife.ca slash live healthier for more tips, videos, and content from Manulife that can help you live healthier for longer, no matter your age. The thoughts, views, and opinions of the host and guests do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Manulife.